What's going on in the world of hotels and hospitality? Today, you're going to hear from one of the best journalists in the industry. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. Today is Sunday, June 4th, and one of the largest investment conferences in our industry, the NYU International Hospitality Industry Investment Conference, is kicking off now here in New York. To better understand what's going on in the world of hotels and hospitality today, David Eisen is joining us. He's the editor-in-chief of Hotels Magazine and has a unique perspective to share with us. In this episode, we'll cover the trends he's watching, what he'll be listening for, how to work with media to get coverage, and much more. One note before we get into it, we recorded this a couple days ago, and we're dealing with a little bit of construction noise in the background. I tried to remove it during the production process, but David's voice ended up sounding not quite as great as it usually does. But I wanted to share our conversation with you anyway, because I think you'll get a lot of value from what David shares. So without further ado, let's jump into it. We have the NYU conference coming up next week, and I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts going into that. Being the editor-in-chief for Hotels Magazine, you see a lot of ideas. You see a lot of people talking about a lot of stuff. What's on your mind? Well, first of all, it's always, um, I don't care what the uh, the economy is like, what the market's like, what the hotel industry is doing. For me, going back to New York is always just a pleasure in itself. I, I lived there for 20, 20 plus years, um, moved out of there pre-pandemic, which I guess would be, a, I guess, a good thing or a bad thing. I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, but it's all, first of all, it's always great to get back to that conference. This is a year of change, actually. It's interesting, as you, as you probably know, this is the last year, I think, at NYU, the conference itself, not the college, the university, was acquired by my former employer, uh, Questex. They just actually acquired the conference. I think they announced that just a few weeks ago. So this will be the last kind of like iteration of NYU under the, uh, I guess you could call it the John Tisch re- regime. I don't know how, what they're going to do. To the conference as a whole, I, 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 if there's going to be many changes to it, the look and feel, the, the content, the way that it kind of operates. But anyway, so that's one big thing uh, that this will be the last kind of year for that. But I mean, as a whole, I mean, every one of these conferences you go to, I mean, every, you, you know, you go to the Alice Conference in LA, NYU, Hunter, it's always everyone's like optimistic, but it's cautiously optimistic. I mean, literally, that's like the tone of every one of our industry conferences every single year it's the same thing oh we're we're cautiously optimistic and to be honest with you i mean conferences are great but i you know the and and you know the, the panel sessions are great you don't get too much real frankness or candidness on stage which you always hope for a lot of times panelists on stage they get into this habit of wanting to basically just market especially the brands which god love them they're they're a part of the industry they're they're a huge part of the industry the brands kind of make the industry go in terms of what they bring to the table in terms of their loyalty programs and, ter- and, and distribution, all that. But a lot, sometimes brands can get on stage and they're like, you know, and I won't say the brand, but like our hotel has the best pool in the world where, you know, the water is at a perfect temperature of 72 degrees without fail. Um, so it can get a little bit too markety, you know, so kind of like a too much of a, a PR kind of fest. So it's always good when, when you're on a panel, uh, especially in the audience, when, when the panelists are very frank, they're, they're really telling you like it is. They're not just marking themselves. They're really giving you kind of actionable, whether it's tips or information about really what's going on in the hotel industry now and kind of looking down the road. Those are the panels um, that are, I think, are the, are the best that you come away walking out of it saying, oh, I really got something, something out of that. 
Um, and, and most of them are like that. You just sometimes want to, you want to steer clear of the, of the, of the, of the other type. But um, I, I think NYU this year is going to be, it's going to be a really good gauge of, of where the industry um, is as a whole right now, kind of almost like a balance sheet of like where you are right now. I mean, I think the biggest thing, you know, we've seen the trends that it came out post pandemic, right? Obviously we know 2020 was a disaster year for, for the hotel industry, for the entire, you know, globe. Uh, hotels are basically just running, trying to stay uh, break even, right? Running break even analysis to hopefully not lose money. Um, but we came out of that. We saw the strength of of, of segments like extended stay. They were huge. Um, they are kind of resilient through all times. They do well with when the economy is good. They do well when the economy is bad. They basically do well when things are 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 you know people's uh, people in life. You get divorced, where are you going to go stay? An extended stay hotel, right? You, you, you're you moving jobs. You got to go stay for a long time somewhere. You go to an extended stay hotel. So they do well in doom and gloom. But they also do well during boom times. And you can see why all the all the brands are like pouring into that into that space. We've seen, seen Hilton announce a new extended stay uh, offering in, the, I guess, the lower mid-scale segment. That's another, we can talk about that later, just how the segments are all sliced and diced now. But Hilton's launching a new product there. Marriott's coming out with one that they haven't announced yet. Hyatt just came out with a new extended state product. So everyone, you know, who hadn't been in it before or had been in it, but only had their like, you know, were dabbling in it or really rushing into that space. So extended state, we saw resorts were resilient. Um, so we've seen pockets of growth. It's been it's been the city markets. You know, you're D- I'm in D.C. right now. I remember. During kind of the um, the real bad days, I remember sitting in my in my WeWork and looking across the street, and I saw that there were more lights on in the hotel than the office building next door. So you could see there was a disconnect there. But we're waiting to see that corporate travel. I think come back in, in gusto, uh, I, but it's coming back. Groups are coming back. I said before, well, I think Ray right at the outset of the pandemic, I said that people have short memories, and I still believe that. I, I actually think that. You know, we talk about work from home and that's here to stay. I don't, I'm not so sure. I think, and I, and I think it's it, it's not here to stay because I think people actually want to go back to the office. I think people are sick of sitting at home, working out of their robe at their kitchen table. I know I am, although I do get dressed in the morning. I do shower usually, typically. So I, I think that trend might be a fad. I think I think people want to get back out there. So we're seeing we're seeing group come back. We're seeing corporate come back slowly. Leisure has held through. This entire, it shows that people don't want to, you know, forego travel, right? They want to get out there on the road. And for hoteliers, performance has done, you know, quite well. We've seen strong rates and we've seen that growth, that's the rate growth sustained throughout this time period. I think there's, it's going to get, it can only get, I think, a little bit, uh, you know, ebb a little bit and get a little bit weaker as we move into the summer season and beyond. Uh, looking at terms of demand occupancy, there's still everyone, everyone talks about this recession that still hasn't happened yet. So I don't know what, what will come of that. Um, but I think things are looking pretty good. I think uh, from a travel perspective, if you want to flip it over to the kind of the real estate finance side, I mean, we've seen base rates, interest rates have gone up. Uh, uh, it's tougher to get financing specifically for new construction. It's more expensive to get financing, you know, you're, you know, just Five years ago, basically money was nothing. It was it was cheap money. It was like basically banks were like, please go build something. We want it, we want to give you money. That's flipped. So it's hard. But I think that's a good thing because I think it it constrains supply a little bit. And if if you own a hotel, that's a good thing, right? You don't want to see more hotels popping up on your block. So 
it's obviously it's hard it's harder now from a, from a transactional standpoint to, tran- to to make transactions to do deals. Um, you know, I was looking at some JLL numbers. Obviously, compared I think compared to last year and the year before, transactions are down. But I think those will pick up as we move through uh, into you know Q three, Q four, um, and beyond. There isn't hasn't been too much distressed assets out there. Everyone thought, oh, there's a pandemic. You know, everyone's going to tank and, and there's going to be all this distress selling and banks be taking back back assets. I, th- I think the one thing we all, not me, myself, because I don't own any hotels, but what the real estate community learned and, and lenders learned was like, we can't go back to the raw, raw West days when people were, were, le- were over leveraged and loan to value ratios were like, you know, 95% debt versus a small sliver of, of equity. I, I think they were smarter this time and they've gotten that rebalanced. Um, so I, I think I think everyone's in a better position now going into uh, the rest of the year and into 2024. Um, you know, hopefully there's not another black swan event, but who knows? So that's my take on it. I'm standing on that. And that, that's, that's, I'll start there. That was a long, that was a long answer. Josiah. So I, 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 you can edit out as much as you want. No, no, I love that. I love that. You mentioned something that, you know, I've always kind of felt that so many conferences, not necessarily just NYU, but at conferences, people tend to be pretty guarded. And, and unfiltered. And I, I'm curious because I, I imagine everybody in the industry wants to get on your radar. They want to get their soundbite covered in, in your recap article. So if you could wager magic wand, what would you like to hear? What, would you, what are the unfiltered takes or things that you'll be listening for uh, that people hopefully can open up a little bit more and share? You know, I think it's funny you say that because any journalist in my position knows before about a week or two weeks out before a copper starts. You start getting emails from PR saying, will you meet with this person? And you get like, thir- you know, will you meet with this person? Will you meet with that person? And PR people are, are great. They, they actually, um, shout out to all the, all the press people out there because they make our jobs a lot easier. They're, they're the gatekeepers, right? The problem is, is that you only have so much time at a conference, specifically, especially if you only have a, you know, when I come to a conference, I'm basically the only person there from our magazine. So I'm the one kind of, I have to be everywhere at once. So I, I, I actually typically enjoy sitting in on panels to sit there and um, see what's going on. You get different, you get different takes, just there's multiple people on stage. Um, and then other times you take, you take with, you take a meeting with someone. Now I, I, I have to be select with those and, and kind of choosy just because you only have, you don't, you definitely don't want to fill your dance card. I think with like back to back to back meetings, because to be honest with you, a lot of those, as we had said before, it's basically them saying, oh, we've opened 500 or not 500. We've opened 10 hotels this year. Yeah, I can get that from a press release and you get some stuff out of it. But, you know, uh, just it, it, it all goes back to just um, I, I typically when I speak to to someone, you know, if they want to take a meeting with me, you know, a lot of times the PR people or, or they'll say, oh, they want to talk about this. So they want to talk about that. Well, I was like, that's great. But I'd like I'd like to talk about this. And the thing is, I always like it's it's the, the more. Usually, the higher the higher the um, uh, higher up the chain you go, the more and more they want to they want to make sure they control the messaging and they control what they're going to say. So they're always like, my my favorite thing is this: they'll be like, "Will you meet with so and so, the CEO of blah blah blah?" And you'll come back and say, "Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to do that." And then the next email to them it, to, to you is, "Okay, what do you want to ask him?" So it's like you just asked me to to interview your 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 person, and you're now you're at, you're making me do some kind of effort and dig up question so it's 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 good i usually for for my setup i sit down with someone um i don't really like to come in with formal questions it's more organic you just sit there and they might hit on a topic 
and you'll and you'll say you know like a topic like here's one seller financing which is like basically i have an asset that i want to sell and i'm literally going to pay give you money to take it off my hands right seller financing just being that it's like the seller actually finances helps finance the deal i'd never heard of that really before but apparently that's some of that is happening now and there are a lot of there are a lot of um assets out there that i think will get i don't know if they're, you know divested of when we, when we, and that was another thing like we're seeing things like loans maturing you know so like if your loans maturing it's like you know you either need to shit or get off the pot sorry i don't know if this is a, a children's uh, podcast but it's either like, what am I going to do with this asset now? I have my loans maturing. I'm going to have to refinance at a higher rate. What am I going to do with it? Am I just going to say, okay, that's it. I made my money. I'm going to get out. I'm going to sell it, right? So, so there's that. The other th- big thing is like, you know, during the pandemic, the brands were like, they were cool. They were like all like, you know, don't, you don't have to put any, we understand this is tough times. You're probably using your CapEx reserves to pay your mortgage. It's all good, man. It's all good. Now things have flipped back and they're like, well, that lobby hasn't been touched in ten in you know five, ten years. It, it's time to it's time to get put some money in there, some 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 capex money in there, and, and upgrade. You know those guest rooms. You need new TVs. They're too small. They don't have the right technology that that's needed right now. Your soft goods, your hard goods. That's the word I was looking for. I, I think I was thinking soft soft goods. All those things need to be kind of um, you need to up your game with. So there's that part. There's the pips that are coming. So I think a lot, I think owners now are in a position where they need to like really sit down and say, okay, is it worth it? Maybe we could take, we could sell, take money, put it elsewhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a big thing. I think when you're talking to owners to see, see what that is. And on the brand side, it's the same question. It's like, what are you making? What do you, what are you um, asking of your owners right now? Because, you know, as much as I, I we, t- the hotel industry is such a dynamic industry and in the fact that there's so many different hands in it you know you have you have the asset right so you have the owner of the asset you have the brand that's on the front door you have the person who's operating that asset you have an asset manager you have the lender on it there's so yeah you have all the employees so there's it's such a dynamic industry and it's like operational real estate it's always moving it's not like and you know you reprice it every on a on a nightly basis not like office or 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 um multifam or whatever it is where you know you have a lease for a year and you can just this is a dynamic, it's, it's breathing 365, 24-7 business. Um, so that interplay is always something I'm interested in. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you enjoying this conversation? If so, I invite you to text this episode to a friend or a colleague as well. Not only will you let them know that you're thinking about them, but you'll help them as well. One more thing, I'm having a lot of fun right now sharing videos and photos from the stories on the show, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, open up Instagram and YouTube now and follow Hospitality Daily so we can stay in touch. All right, let's get back to the conversation. When I think because there's so many participants in the ecosystem, as you pointed out, there's room for innovation, and I appreciate you kind of sharing your perspective on this because I guess what I would like to see is more uh, industry participants, uh, you know, kind of ap- approach earning media by creating something worth talking about, right? And and doing something differently, right? And so I think, you know, getting your take, it's like, they probably think, okay, I opened new hotels. That's that's so fascinating. And it probably is to them. But like, you see this, you know, from every brand, from every industry participant, you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> My readers don't care about this. You got to do something different. So whether it's seller financing or it's, you know, some other element of the ecosystem, I think my takeaway from hearing you is like, no, do something different and then actually communicate what is different. 
in the industry. I agree. Those are the things we look for. I mean, new, you know, the, actually, the funny thing is, I is, you know, you've been around in this industry for a long time. I remember when I, so I've been, I guess, covering the hotel industry since 2006. And I remember that every conference you go to back in the day, you were like, oh, they're probably going to, maybe they'll launch, a new, there'll be a new brand announcement or something like that. And that was cool. You were like, man, they, blah, 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 just launched a new brand. You wait for those announcements, right? Nowadays, there's so many, there's so many brands and brand announcements. Not only can't you keep track of them all, it's some of them go under the radar, but let's say it's, it's not big news. And it's news, but it's not like huge news. You're like, oh, they launched a new brand. Okay. Well, they probably, they launched one, you know, last week also. And you know what I mean? Like there's literally brands I've seen that I'm like, what is that? I had no idea that this was even a thing anymore. But I, but to, to, but you know, when we get, when we talk about things like that, like brands, like there's not, everyone talks about, oh, you have too many brands. Are, are there too many brands? That's always a question that you get, that a lot of the brand guys get on stage. And I would say there's not, I mean, I mean, look at adjacent industry, not adjacent industry, but look at like a, a, a company like Procter and Gamble. I mean, how many brands do they have? They have thousands of hundreds of brands. They have the same brand, but it's different in, 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 um, Argentina as it is in like, you know, Beijing or something like that. I don't think there's too many brands. I, I, I think it's literally like, is, is, does it make sense to add something here? Is there a gap here that we can fill, right? Um, that would make sense for our loyal travelers. But for me and what I've seen over the year, it, may, it has to make sense for the, for the guy who's going to build it, right? The money guy, the developer, the owner. So it's like when, you, when they build out these brands, I think they're all, and, and they'll admit it, they, they build brands for a traveling niche that I guess they weren't reaching before, but it's always like, okay, can we get the, the money guys behind it to actually see this, see this through? And, and let's be honest, and I, I'm not going to be the first to say this. It's like when Marriott or Hilton pull, pushes out a new brand, I think the other brands are like, well, shit, they, Marriott and Hilton are now jumping deeper and deeper to, into our pool. Like we talked about extended stay. When you look at, at at other you know extended stay brands like Woodspring or uh um uh or the other you know extended stay America they've been like the name traditional names in this space um they've done it for so long they've done a fantastic job but it's like now you have these bigger guys that are coming down into your neck of the woods um it just it just slices the pie that much thinner yeah totally. I wonder if we get to, uh, I want to promote your panel. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about kind of what you're, what you're going to be talking about? So our panel is actually called the alumni panel, right? I was lucky enough. This is my first year actually moderating a panel at NYU, even though I'm an, an NYU graduate. So it, it, it's, it's, um, it's a first for me and I'm, and I'm really happy about that, that they finally thought to, thought to include me. I was like, where's my, t where do my, all my tuition dollars go? I don't even get to moderate a panel. Now I'm moderating the panel. So I'm, and I'm, I'm moderating what's called the alumni panel. They don't really even give it a name. They're just like, we'll call it the alumni panel. And it's basically, it's me and four other uh, graduates of NYU. All have better, probably done better in life than I have after, after NYU. Uh, but so the panel, uh, well, you know, the panel is basically analyze, it's looking at deals, analyzing deals and, and, and against these kind of macroeconomic issues we talked about, inflation, the economic slowdown and more. That's the, uh, the panel name. There's always and more. And um, so it's a great group. I have, I'll tell you real quick who I have. So I, 
Kirk Reed, he's the VP of Operations Finance for MCR Hotels. If you know them, if you know MCR, then you know their CEO, Tyler Morse, who is actually the one guy that you, you, you stop and watch him speak when he's on stage. Cause he, he's about, he's, he, when you talk about frankness, he's the one guy, like he's gotten so good. I've been to multiple industry events with him speaking and he has like a stump speech now. And I don't know if it's changed, but it's like literally like he's on the stump, like a politician. He says the same thing every time there's a little bit of nuance to it. And I appreciate that, but it's always very candid. Like he, 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 he always says it like it is or how, well, he says it like he thinks it is. Um, so we have some from CR. We have Chu Zhu. She works for RLJ. They're a real estate investment trust. Huge. Um, mm-hmm. She's the director of investment and portfolio analysis. She'll be there. Uh, Millie Shaw. She's great. She, she's a, she, she's, she owns her own hotel company with her family. She's also an attorney. She's a banker. She does literally everything. So she, she'll be talking about, about um, uh, that entire kind of world there. And then last but not, not least, Estelle Yang, who's a senior associate capital marketer for Collier. So we'll get that kind of consultancy perspective. And basically, you know, I, uh, you know, I've gone through and I've already put to questions together, but basically we're talking about the same things that we and I have been talking about for the past 30 minutes. Really, it's about kind of, you know, one of the things we're talking about is once the, we talk, we hear all about private equity and they're kind of like on the sidelines now and they have this huge wall of money, what they call, they always say we have, there's all this dry powder out there uh, that private equity is, is just kind of sitting on. So I think we're all, everyone's waiting for like the Blackstones, the, the Brookfields to kind of light that match and see what they're they're up to now i think the funny not the funny thing is i mean it's nothing kind of it's funny about the private equity world um it's not the humorous of a of a, of a thing to talk about um but you know people like blackstone they're always out there at the forefront they know what to invest in usually but you're seeing like the brookfields of the world get slaughtered when it comes to like they're getting out of office like out of it because we don't know what's going to happen to real office real estate anymore. Is it going to be converted to probably multi-red to, to uh, multi-residential, even hotels? Because that's another thing, this whole trend of work and how everything's changed now. Like people aren't in the office five days a week, seven days a week, you know, working from nine to eight, five o'clock or whatever it is. And what that does, it has this kind of like domino effect. Like if people aren't in the office, you know, I don't want to say destroys. It hampers local economies there. So the guy, the, the guy who owns a sandwich shop down the street, mm-hmm. he's not getting that income every lunch now, right? So this kind of has this this bang on effect that it's like if the offices aren't crammed with people, adjacent businesses aren't going to do as well. Hotels aren't going to do as well because not many as many people are traveling into the cities for work, corporate or otherwise. There's always this kind of knock on effect. But I think one of the things is we're, we're just waiting to see who, who's going to be some of the buyers that swoop in. I mean, you know. Uh, Blackstone's been um, accretive in the in the past in in the hospitality space. Obviously, if you look at what they did with Hilton, and they made a they made a bundle when they exited uh, that investment. Um, but you know the Blackstones, the the the, the KKRs of the world, the KSL. I have to tell you, there's a lot of buyer, of big time uh, buyers out there, and and we'll so we'll see kind of what what will transact there. And then obviously on just on the operation side, like how are you operating a, a profitable hotel? I think there's been this kind of, I work for another company, you know, this is me doing exactly what I told myself I wouldn't do is be a marketing guy, but I work for a company called Hot Stats, which is basically a, um, they won't, they won't want to, you, me to say this, but they're the STR of the profitability kind of uh, space. 
So they're, re- they're really focused on not so much just Redpar, just looking at room sales, right? But really digging into the P&L and looking at, you know, your total revenue per available room, looking at your gross operating profit per available room. So when you look at hotels nowadays, they're not a lot of the way that hotels are built out now. It's not just about selling rooms. There's the ancillary revenue that comes through, you know, F&B that comes through spa that comes in all the all these different kind of outlets bar obviously um so looking at your ancillary revenue there and basically taking all that revenue into account but but then looking at your expense picture and flow through and looking at your utility costs looking at your uh obviously your biggest cost which is your labor um and then seeing how much of that money flows down to the bottom line so really honing in on profit so i think hoteliers um as they kind of move further and further out, it's really about looking at your PL and making sure that you're operating an optimal kind of uh, asset, right? And and profitability, you know, as I've said before, you can't take, you know, RevFAR doesn't pay the uh doesn't pay the mortgage, right? You can't mm-hmm. take it to the bank. You you can only take the bank the bottom what you squeeze out at the end of each month. So those are kind of some of the, the topics that I think, you know, we'll be we'll be talking into. And obviously I'm gonna kind of hopefully uh, they'll be very candid, like I said before, and looking at, um, you know, what kind of market it is. Is it buyer seller market? Looking at, you know, bid ass spreads and all that fun stuff, right? Or maybe I'll just talk about basketball and the NBA playoffs <laughs> for uh, a good a good twenty minutes. I could do that too. Well, you got to be there, so you got to be there to find out. But uh, no, seriously, I, I I think I'm 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 really interested in you know kind of like the the panel that you you put together here where there's you know we talk about this trend or that trend but having the people that are you know looking at the data all day and they're the closest to it right they can actually speak to what is happening versus people just pontificating right so you got uh, an awesome awesome lineup there so i'm definitely pointing people uh your your way david um i feel like we covered everything i was hoping to is there anything you know, before we go that that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to i'm trying to think no i think um you know, it, it, it'll be, it'll be, it's always, listen, I think conferences are great. It, it's, it's a chance for people to, it's really, really what it comes down to is networking and, and, you know, see past, you know, friends in the industry and, you know, getting, sometimes getting deals done. I mean, a lot of these conferences are just for that. It's like, I, I'm at the bar having a drink and someone walks over and you start talking and I'm looking to buy something. You might be looking to sell something or something like that. So it's a lot of like, that collegial atmosphere, that's really what these conferences are all about. I mean, the education is great too, you know, sitting in the panels and, and kind of hearing of what's going on in the industry. But it's really about, like I said before, it's about people to people. It's about people to people yeah. and mano a mano and tete a tete. I think I'm using up all my, uh, uh, all, all those phrases, but really yeah. kind of coming together as, in, as humans and, 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 you know, or talking over a coffee or a, or a beer or something like that. And, and really, I think that's what conferences are great for. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing, I mean, I, uh, I was at the, um, what was the last conference I was at? I can't remember. You know, they was, they're getting, they're back to over, you know, like Logic Conference yeah. in September, over 2,000 people, close to 3,000 people. And people, people I think are, are, um, are itching still to get back out there. Yeah. And I think conferences are something that allows that uh, to happen. Yeah. You got to open yourself up to serendipity, right? So, uh, Definitely pointing people to your panel. And uh, thanks, thanks for joining us, David. I appreciate your perspective and looking forward to seeing you at the show. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights 
from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 